you're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome to another episode of Lead to Soar. I'm Mel Butcher and I'm joined by Michelle Redfern. Michelle, thanks for joining me today. We've got an episode today that originates from a question that came from one of our members in a career that soars. To make it a nice nutshell version of that question, what do you do when you have a shitty boss? You know, this is a really an important topic because despite the literal billions of dollars that companies spend annually on leadership development and managerial training, there was a study by Life Meets Work that found that over half of American workers claim their boss is mildly or highly toxic. Over half. It's extraordinary. So <laughs> just that's insane. Right. And that has a real cost both to the employee dealing with it, with their health, and also to the businesses that lose employees who get tired of that situation. Let's try to talk about it today from both sides. How do you handle it when you're the employee that has a bad boss? And then we'll get into if you're a leader, how do you recognize a bad manager on your team and what do you do about it? Let's start from the top, imagining an employee that feels like they can't leave. They feel like they need to stay at this company in this role for whatever reason. What should they think about and what would your recommendation be for them? I think that's an important qualifier to start off with, Mel, because despite the fact that we record this in October 2021, there's a lot of talk about the great resignation and the great migration of folks between workplaces. There are a bucket load of people who don't have that choice for a range of reasons. So I think it's really important that we're not giving advice about quit and move on here. So this is when you are staying and you've made a decision to stay for whatever reason or you don't have that choice. So I think the first thing is recognizing what is a bad boss? How does a bad boss manifest itself? And as someone who's been a boss for a lot of her life, you know, there's a little bit of looking in the mirror here. I know I have been this. I have been this bad boss. Things that are those red flags or even an orange flag. When the boss is inconsistent, so they have, you know, they'll treat some people some way, other people other ways. So they've got their favorites, they've got their non-favorites. You're part of the crowd or you're part of you're not part of the in crowd and you feel that particularly when you're obviously well obviously when you're not part of that in crowd and it, it is isolating and you know and I think it, everything comes from just casual indifference right through to out and out toxicity and all the inconsistencies around the behavior which Michelle are we going to get today nice Michelle or evil Michelle we never quite know on a day-to-day hour-to-hour basis so that that kind of boss there will be the egocentric boss so it's always about them they're not looking to engage the greatness in you it's all about themselves them meeting their personal goals they're not a team player and frankly leadership is around you're leading a team of which you are a part of Sure, you have to make decisions that may be different, remove barriers for your team. It is part of a team. The boss who is blame-centric, oh, those 
bastards over in finance. It's all their fault or the GFC hit. Go, I'm dating myself now. It's, it's, that's the problem. It's the global pandemic. That's the reason for everything. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. So it's never, it's never ever their fault. They perpetuate a blame culture. And I guess the one that really, really sticks in my craw is when they don't back their own team and when they openly bring their team down with, with peers that, yeah, that they're not the champion for their team. So they're just some of the examples of a bad boss. You'll know if you've got a bad boss, but you know, I want to move beyond an interpersonal conflict here because we're humans, right? There are human dynamics in every workplace. So there will be interpersonal conflict from time to time. And that doesn't mean your boss is bad. It just means the two of you have got some conflict and you need to sort that out. So just put that in as a, as a caveat as well, Mel. So what do you do? Because this is, this is the important thing. What do you do when you feel stuck? You haven't got a choice. And you kind of go, okay, so the first step to take is, am I going to stay long-term and outweigh this person or am I going to start building a plan to exit? So I'm going to activate my network. I'm going to look for another position, whether it be internal internal to my organization or external. So start building a parallel plan, even if you want to stay, because it's a safety net. And it also gives you a focus uh, that's different to focusing on how crap this boss is. So you start building a plan. And this is a contingency plan. Doesn't mean you have to activate it at any point, but just the just the effort and the, I guess, the cognitive things that'll start working around understanding how good you are. When you become a job hunter, you have to think, what's great about me? And how do I tell the world about what's great about me? You know, getting my CV ready, updating my LinkedIn, those kind of things can put you back in touch with your own sense of self-worth because a bad boss can really diminish your sense of self-worth. In my own history, I've had two particularly bad bosses. And so I'm very fortunate, you know, I had a 40 plus year career and there are only two people that stand out as the two bad bosses in my career. So I'm very fortunate. I've probably had others, but they weren't memorable. So that probably says something anyway. In both cases, and particularly the second case, I identified that after a little while, because I was gaslighted significantly by this person. They were so skilled at what they did that I started to think, oh, it's me. It's actually me. It's my, I'm the problem here, not him. But what I did was I recognized pretty early on with this, with this particular boss, this is not going to work. So I need to start building a contingency plan. And part of that contingency plan was going back to job hunting principles. What am I good at? What, what am I known for? What's made me successful? Because this is very late in my career. I've got to say it's the second last job I had. So that in and of itself, Mel, gave me, it gave me another thing to focus on that diminished my focus on how crappy this boss was and how crappy it was making me feel. Well, I think it's a good piece of advice that you start to remember what makes you great. And then I suppose the second one is how do I minimize the impact that this person is having on me? And another part of that is going to your, is going to your network. It's going to your personal board of directors, your cheer squad, whatever you want to call them. There is never a more important time to activate your cheer squad than when you're having a hard time at work. 
sometimes it can be as simple as, and I'm very conscious we've talked about emotional vampires in another episode, but this is about saying, hey team, I've got this issue. Give me some strategies to help. Or can I have a sounding board? I just need to vent. I need a safe space to vent, up my enthusiasm, you know, top up my energy levels. And, and then that gives me the, I guess, the grit, the determination and a bit of resilience to keep carrying on in in, in spite of this boss who is he's bringing me down. Yeah, I mean, this is an unashamed plug for a career that soars, Mel. This is why, one of the, the myriad of reasons why we have our global network for, for business women is it's a really safe women-only space to talk about the stuff that goes on and to to find helpful strategies. There's going to be stuff that someone will think of. You go, oh, I would not have thought of that because often when we're in the heat of battle, we actually need someone who's independent from that to give us an independent view of, hey, you might want to think about this strategy or do this or stop doing that or whatever it may be, but just spend some time with people who top you up rather than drain you. Part of what I'm I'm hearing in this is that sometimes in life we encounter difficult things where we have to make the decision to be the bigger person. In this case, I think it comes with recognizing the other person's behavior for what it is, beginning to recognize and acknowledge for yourself how it's impacting you. And one thing that I've found incredibly helpful is going to books about communication. There's a couple of books out there that I can mention I think are helpful, like Difficult Conversations. It's got like three authors. There's another one called Crucial Conversations. I think sometimes those types of resources can help equip us to approach really uncomfortable conversations. And, you know, dear listener, I just want to acknowledge that this isn't fair, but it is reality, right? Sometimes we encounter people that are difficult to work with, work for, and these are some of the the management techniques that we have to tap into to maintain our health and sanity. Because the research shows us that the stress caused by working for bad bosses is is directly related to all kinds of problems, you know, increased risk of heart attack, increased risk of stroke and other cardiac type events. That's a really good segue into my next piece of advice. And again, I'm really careful, Mel, that this is when someone feels like they have no choice. An opportunity to move is not available to them. So they, it's, this is not a suck it up princess um, bit of advice, but it's a, I, I can't move. So what do I do to minimize the impact that this shitty boss is having on me? Please look after your health. The boundaries piece, start work at a designated time, finish work at a designated time. You all have heard my time management, you know, how do we get shit done? Eight hours for sleeping, eight hours for working, eight hours for discretionary spend. So for everything else, make that other eight hours, the non-work eight hours, joyful, healthy, fulfilling. Create an interest outside of your workplace. If you have, like me in my past, you've put everything on red, right? It's like everything was on my on my workplace. So I had this one world. I was a job nun, as we call it. Everything was about my job. So if the job went pear-shaped, my life went pear-shaped. So the best thing that I've ever, ever did was start to have more outside interests, pay attention to my health and, and fitness and well-being. 
and making that in and of itself an activity so that my focus was multi-dimensional, not single dimensional or one dimensional. Um, and you, you, you cannot underestimate how bad things can be when you're not getting enough sleep and when you're not looking after yourself because your body, your adrenal gland is working overtime. And I'm not going to get into that because I'm not an expert, but I have experienced it. Your body is being pumped full of fight or flight chemicals every single hour of the day. And those fight or flight chemicals are going to make you very, very sick at some point. When you can't do anything about those during your workday, you must offset that outside of that. Whatever, however you want to move your body, move, nourish your body, nourish your spirit, you know, hang out with your your cheer squad, play a new sport, start a new interest, whatever it may be. These are minimization tactics to what well, to minimize the effect, the toxic effect of a shitty boss. So you know, it's so, so important that we have that, I hate the word balance, but we offset the crappiness with really great stuff. Michelle, so I I really appreciate that advice. I think that's critical for somebody who's in a situation that is stuck. But what I want to also talk about is there are people out there who might in this moment believe that they are stuck, but in reality, they're really holding on to some kind of limiting belief. So I'm going to rattle off a few of those those beliefs. So the story we might tell ourselves in our mind, it might be something like, I just don't have the energy to look for a job right now. I need this salary. I can't afford to take a pay cut. I've invested too much time to start over or something like, I don't have the skills to get a different job. Can we talk a little bit about limiting beliefs and how we can shift out of that, especially when we've been under the influence of a shitty boss? This is where the story we tell ourselves is so interesting. Your mind is is its own little echo chamber. So you ask yourself a question. And of course, you answer your own question and you're not getting any diversity of thought. So the first thing I would say is... Who is your strategic mentor or mentors, your personal board of advisors, your cheer squad? Please go to the expert people in your network, your trusted advisors and say, I don't think I can move. Now, if you are a trusted advisor, I want you to tell that person you have options. So number one is you have options. Everybody at some point will have options, will have choices. Now that choice might be, I am going to get my CV ready. And I've already talked about that earlier in the episode. Assembling your brag book. This is what I'm good at. Now, if you want to get a really good insight into yourself, you need to come and join a career that source because I've got this really good exercise and we do it in, in Get Shit Done, which is superpowers. What are my superpowers? What's the stuff that I bring every time I show up? What's the stuff that I'm known for? Do that work. I want you to do that work right now. Then I want you to start thinking, what if I were to go and work in a different environment? What if I were to have a conversation with a couple of trusted people in my network to say, I'm considering what could life look like in one year's time if I made a different choice today? Or one of my favorites, which is in one year's time, what am I going to regret not doing today? So that projecting forward and saying, what could my life look like in one year's time if I made a different choice today? So to summarize, what are my superpowers? Figure them out. Number two, activate your network. Who are your trusted advisors that you can say, I've got a shit boss. 
I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. Help me, please. So be vulnerable enough to say, help me, please. Number three, start imagining a different world. Start imagining a different work, a different you. And do that exercise, that visualization exercise of imagine one in one year's time, I'm in a great job. I've got a great boss. How would that make me feel? And I know from my own experience, when you do that, you can start saying, so how important really are those things that I'm holding on to? And the example I always give is I woke up one day and realized I've been working for 15 years for one employer. And many of you will have heard my story before. I'd been working for 15 years for Telstra, the Australia's big telco, and I was never going to work. I was only going to work there for a couple of years. And suddenly I woke up one day, I'm 15 years, and I thought, I don't know what to do here. I am stuck. And I, and I was in a, a, at that particular time in a transition type role that I was very unhappy in. It wasn't fulfilling. And I thought, well, I've got two choices here. One, I find another job in Telstra and I keep going, but this 15 years, that means I'm a lifer. I need to be prepared to stay here pretty much forever. And I never, ever considered myself a lifer. I went, okay, I've got skills. I need to throw myself into the job market and see who might pick me up. I wonder if I'm as good as everyone keeps telling me I am. And the rest, as they say, dear listener, is history because here I am with you today. But I had to really confront my own limiting beliefs, the story that I was telling myself. And the things that I did was I I did, I went to my trusted network. Now, some of the things that people said to me is, are you mad? Why would you leave Telstra and leave behind a potential redundancy payout after 15 years? And I thought, and don't worry, I calculated my redundancy payout. And I went, if I get a really good job, I can earn that back in two years. And I did. <laughs> so I built my wealth. Yeah. So you're taking the the what ifs to like the total positive extreme. And I love that. Mm. And, you know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about, you know, for, for our listeners in this situation, you know, not just like, what if I could... You know, the the limiting part, I think, would be like, what if I could, you know, get onto a different team so I have a different boss, right, internally? Well, what if you are leadership material and you can get a management role? Yeah. What if, you know, there is another competitor around or a company in a similar field around that is looking for someone just like you? Mm -hmm. What if you activated your network discreetly and there were people who went, oh, fantastic. We never thought that Mel would be looking for another job because we thought you were so happy there in your wastewater engineer job. This is <laughs> so awesome. What if people were cheering to think, yes, she's on the market? What if you were able to change industries? Yeah. And and I guess the other thing is, what is the worst thing that could happen, Mel? What's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing is that that, that you stay and you stay being miserable. And we can give you lots of research on the impact of being miserable and negative on your body and, and your well-being and your longevity. But what if what if there's a better job, a better life, a better you just waiting around the corner. Yeah, totally. So I love, I love your advice. You got to assemble your brag book and you've got to tap into your support network. It's so true. I want to kind of go off to the the side of this conversation and ask, how does someone know when they should go to HR? This is really tricky, Mel, because we are talking to listeners all over the world and there are different industrial relations legislation and laws in every different geography and there will be varying um, approaches and appetites. For women, this is really tricky territory because... Women, we I know because I do this research and I work with organizations and I have a lot of data, we know, I know that women are still 
disproportionately subjected to casual sexism, outright sexism, bullying, harassment, sexual assault, etc., more than our male counterparts. If you are feeling unsafe or unwell, my advice is that you get advice. One of the organisations I once worked for had a very, very good system in that you did not go to HR because I've got to say, HR is there for the organisation. It's to make sure that the organisation is compliant to its many, many requirements around having humans working for it. I'm not sure that HR is always in a position, and and this is a a very big nod and acknowledgement to my HR friends. They span a really difficult um, scenario. I've got the organisation that I'm helping to meet its strategic and financial goals, but I've got this employee that I also must help. They are in a very, very uh, interesting, tricky position. The workplace that I was in had a workplace relations unit independent to HR that linked and was available to employees to go to, to anonymously say, I'm having an issue, and then they would advocate on behalf. So proceed with caution if you're going to go to HR, Mel, and that caution is not a diss on HR. It is that it is understand the role that HR plays in an organisation. This is where I think who is your trusted advisor and who is perhaps someone who can advocate on your behalf if you are unsafe, if you are becoming unwell as a result of the treatment that you're receiving in your workplace. For some of us, that might be our union or our staff representation group. It may well be an independent person external to the organisation. You may have uh, in your industry, there will be the industry body that may well have uh, advisors for employees who are able to give independent advice and or provide advocacy. But ultimately, the bottom line is, you know, if, if you are in danger, yes, you must go to HR. But if this is less about danger, think carefully about who are your trusted advisors and who can advocate on your behalf should you need that to happen. Now, that was kind of very roundabout, Mel, but I want to be really careful about the various roles and the dynamics that play out in organizations. Absolutely. And that's why I asked. It is tricky, highly contingent upon the situation, the company you're at, the country you're living in, or even the state that you're living in. There's different laws in the United States. And I think most locations in the U.S., it is favoring the employer Right. So there's usually employers have the authority to uh, let go of staff for no reason whatsoever. And so, yes, proceed with caution. And I think the the, the other thing here is that, again, I, I don't want to be too trite here, but this is where knowledge is power. Who's in your corner? So is it your staff association, your union? Is it your industry association? And it may be a strategic mentor that you have in the organization who is somewhere else in the organization that, that can give you an independent view or advice. Got someone more senior in the organization and you trust them, ask them for advice. How do I navigate this situation? I will just say also, Mel, that there are many, particularly large companies now, listed companies have whistleblower policies. So you will have a whistleblower line that you will be able to use um, and, and tap into. I guess, again, there will be parameters around how effective that might be in your individual circumstances, but investigate what your options are. That makes a nice segue for us. We want to talk about leaders 
next. So if you're a leader of people who are leading or managing teams, how can you recognize when this is happening in your organization? And I just have a quick side story on that sort of whistleblower line. I worked for a large company that had one such line and I was with a group of leaders at one point and being the young professional at the time, I had some insight into what some of the young professionals were experiencing. And I tried to describe that to this group. And one of the leaders responded to me and basically said, well, that hasn't come in on our whistleblower line. If they were really experiencing that, they should be calling this number. Michelle, I don't know if you want to comment on that and start us start us off on the leaders listening to people and leaders being able to recognize when there are problems in their organizations with management. Oh, I certainly do. This is my sweet spot. You know, the, the diagnostic work that I do when I start diversity, equity and inclusion strategy for organizations is so critical because often leaders will rely on certain things to give them an indicator of the health and well-being of their organization, including their employees. And here's a newsflash, folks, a once a year employee engagement survey. That's not it. It's just that is a point in time once a year that gives you a macro indicator of some stuff that's going on. Great leaders are paying attention all the time to the rhythm and the cadence of their organization and the people in it. And they put in place stuff to help them pay attention. And for those of you who haven't listened to our episode with Sheila Flavel of FDM Group, she's the COO of FDM Group. She's There's this gold in there because she says, you know, Michelle, when you become very important <laughs> and um, you know, other people think you're very important, you're very, very senior. And I'm paraphrasing, people tell you what they think you want to hear. She said, but I want, I want the truth. I want to know what's really going on. So as senior leaders and, and as you become more senior, recognize that you're going to be told a lot of stuff that people want you to hear. You're not necessarily going to hear or see the stuff that you need to hear and see. So how might you make sure that you get that information. Yes, you can have whistleblower lines um, and those are for the very extreme circumstances, but what are the signals that you can pay attention to throughout the day, the week, the month, the year to give you an indicator? We might do another episode on on the importance of employee action groups and you know that kind of rhythm, Mel, but right now I'd be saying how do leaders put in place regular check-ins and how do they make sure that there is a multi-way communication channel that gives them some insight into what's really going on in their business. And a question for leaders right now, what don't you know about your workplace? And I asked a question of a group of manufacturing leaders in April in 2021. And I said, I want you to think about this scenario. And yes, I'm bringing a gender lens to this, but we so often know that workplaces can be quite inhospitable places to women, black women, women of color. Imagine the most vulnerable woman you know. Just think about her. She might be your nana, your mum your daughter, your niece. Imagine that that woman, imagine she's going to go into your workplace, not accompanied by you, and no one knows that she is your significant person. She's going to go into the lunchroom. She's going to walk around and sit down in the workplace. How confident are you that she's going to be treated with respect, with dignity, with kindness, with compassion, and be able to reach her full potential? 
in your workplace. And I want you to think about that. And as a leader, if you would not send that most vulnerable person in your life into your workplace, because you don't know the answers to that question, you need to find out. Because guess what? There are other vulnerable people. We are all vulnerable people, but there are people in your workplace who don't feel safe, who don't feel included, don't feel like they belong. They feel like they will never reach their full potential in your workplace. Therefore, you're paying that person for stuff that they're not delivering to you because of the environment that they're in. So as a leader, there are many, many strategies and you talk to me later about what they might be or many tactics and many things you can do. But ask yourself that question and I want you to think about it and sit on it for a while because if you can't confidently say that a human, no matter how they identify, is going to be safe and welcomed, included and feel like they belong in every part of your workplace, you got work to do. For our leaders that are listening to this, how might they use their EQ to look at what's going on with individual people, the managers and the team members to discern that there might be a problem? Yeah, so there there will be certainly some some signals that you can pay attention to and things that I that are red flags for me personally would be the boss only ever has one person that they bring with them to to meetings, the same person over and over again. So we don't see, hear from, or have access to other team members. So that that might be one. So we're going, okay, I I get that we have people who are our successors and and people we're mentoring, we want to bring them forward. But if we don't have an equitable distribution of opportunities to be in front of more senior people, what's going on there? It might be that in meetings there's you know, always the same person speaking, you know, and for bosses, if if you're not from time to time jumping in and observing your team, your managers interactions with their people, with their teams, you should be. So how are they facilitating team meetings? Is it inclusive? And and I guess the other way, which I I talked about earlier in the podcast, in the episode, does that manager advocate for their staff? Or are they running them down? Oh, God, my team are hopeless. Oh, they didn't do this. And that. that is a really big red flag for me. Oh, they, you know, they just keep failing over and over again. Well, okay, Mel, let, let's have a talk about what you're doing about that because you're the team leader. Your role as a people leader is to develop these people, is to engage their greatness. What's the plan to close the gap here? Big red flag for me because if that if that person is openly saying how crap their employees are and they're not coming up with a plan to do something about it, you need to investigate that more. Things that you can do as a leader is to invest time in skip level meetings. So just say this is part of our normal um, operating cadence. Two or three times a year, I'm going to have a skip level. So for example, Mel, if you're leading a team and, and I'm your boss, Mel, I'm going to have skip level meetings with your people two or three times a year and you book them in and you use them as a listening exercise. Have a couple of key questions in particular bosses who are in male-dominated workplaces, I want you to make sure that you talk to the women and understand the lived experience of women in your workplace. I want you to listen and learn. Okay. Louder again for the people in the back. What (laughs) do you want men leaders in male-dominated fields to do? 
I want them to pay attention to the actual lived experience of women in their workplace. I want them to put in place a rhythm that checks in with women regularly about their lived experience, but I want them to listen. I don't want them to pontificate. I don't want them to try and create solutions or be the white knight in shining armor. I want them to listen to the lived experience and then do something about it and we can help you with that. Yes, we can. And I'm going to inject a Ted Lasso reference here. We want you to be not a chatterbox, but a listener box. That's awesome. The bottom line is, are you paying attention to the lived experience of people in, in your workplace? Managers, leaders, there will be shit going down that you just don't know because as you become more senior, people will hide it from you. They're not doing it for nefarious reasons. They're doing it because they think you're too busy. They don't want to bother you. This won't be something you, you are a people leader. Simple as that. Unless you're managing a warehouse full of robots, which then you don't have to, you wouldn't be listening to this anyway. You're managing people. You are leading people. Engage their greatness, everyone's greatness. What is going on in your organization really going on? And then what are we what are we going to do about that? So a listening tour. Oh, I like that. Listening tour. Yeah. So we do roadshows a lot to disseminate information to our people. What about a listening tour? Mm. I'm just going to go around and listen. I'll listen to stuff. I love it. Okay, Michelle. So we've got this great advice for leaders. And, you know, I bet most of you, you've got a lot of great team members and team leaders. But let's say that one of our listeners finds a bad boss in the mix. What do they need to do? What, how do they need to handle that? Well, number one, not avoid it. So they need to have a, a conversation with that person. And even bad bosses, there's, there'll be stuff that we don't know about them. Why are they a bad boss? Are they not clear on the objectives? Are they not clear about the values of the organization? Are they not clear about our goals around the workplace culture that we're trying to create? So a comp, nothing takes the place of a great conversation to say, Mel, I really respect the fact that you're a, a, a respected wastewater engineer. However, I've had some feedback and I've observed that potentially your people aren't on board with you and we've got some behavioral issues. Here's where I think you're really great. Here's where I think you could be better. What do you think? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Mel, are you really clear about the workplace culture we're trying to create here and your role in, in making that happen? Yes, no, you know, I'll do a bit of a flow chart. But this conversation has to be had. Then come back out of that conversation and reflect. Is Mel just not clear about what it is we're trying, you know, the kind of workplace we're trying to create? Or is Mel simply not going to get there? And as a leader, you're going to have to make a call. Help her as much as possible get there. But if she's not going to make it, you need to have another conversation to say, you know what, you're not fulfilling the inherent requirements of your role, which is to create an awesome workplace for all humans. Unless I see a significant shift in the next 90 days, evidenced by one, two, three evidence points, i.e. a performance management plan, we're going to have to part ways. Mel has the opportunity to address her behaviours because let's give her the benefit of a conversation about her behaviours. Because, you know, I guess we have a role to play in, in all sides of this equation as well. If someone's behaving in a really poor way, we often have conversations around and everyone else has a conversation. Has that person had the benefit of understanding the impact their behavior is having on others? Has anyone ever told them? I bet you they haven't. Right. But if they have, we, we ask them for a plan to improve. We have milestone evidence points around the improvement, the improvement required, and it's done. Win, win, win. She wins because she's a better leader. The organization wins because we've got a better leader. The people she's leading win because they've got a better leader. 
But if she can't or won't, do you know what? Win again because Mel can go off and find a place where she can be toxic on her own and we've eliminated a risk to our organisation. Man, why am I the toxic example? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's difficult conversations that they have to be had. They they have to be. Otherwise, well, I've got to say, Mel, it's part of your job. Yeah. As a leader, you are not a leader of widgets. You are a leader of oh, people. So true. I I was thinking about that today. You know, the world of engineering, you know, I think most of the difficult things we deal with, they have to do with people conflict. What do you love about your job? People. What do you hate about your job? People. <laughs> and I know that's pretty, that's mean, but the, the reality is. We're not, we're not dealing with warehouses of robots. We're dealing with messy, complex, flawed, wonderful, awesome human beings who are all unique. <laughs> That's true. It's true. Okay. I appreciate that. Putting a bow on the piece for the leaders. So let's bring it back around to our listeners who might be employees dealing with a bad boss. What message do you want to leave them with? Minimize the impact right now. Eight hours sleep, eight hours work, eight hours keeping yourself well and interesting and interested in other stuff. Go to your cheer squad and your trusted advisors and think about what if, what if my life was different in one year's time? So that mindset shift, I might have these choices. And if you're a woman that needs a cheer squad, head over to a career that soars.com. We'd love to see you inside. This has been a wonderful get shit done chat. Thanks for joining me, Michelle. My pleasure. Thank you for downloading Lead to Soar. We so appreciate your support in the form of subscribing, rating, and reviewing the Lead to Soar podcast. We especially appreciate when you share Lead to Soar with friends and colleagues. Lead to Soar is hosted and produced by Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher. To get in touch with either, visit michelleredfern.com and melbutcher.com. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Until next time, stay focused and lead on.